It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. In bronze medal territory, but here comes the teenager from Russia. The 16-year-old is pushing laser for the bronze. Schoonmacher is going to win gold for South Africa. And Lily King is pushing to the wall for silver. Annie Laser gets the bronze. World record for Schoonmacher with a goal for South Africa. All right, you know, that uh, makes me sad, actually. It makes me sad that I've hardly watched any of the Olympic Games going on in Tokyo because it used to be, again, a big part of my life and in another life it was a big part of my life. No, I was not a swimmer. No, I wasn't in the Olympics, but my former spouse was. And uh, so that was a that whole track and field and... Uh, Summer Olympics was huge for us, and I used to just love watching it. But the reason I played that for you is because I played the opening, uh, uh, the opening of the Tokyo Olympics, and I was I made the point that the the Olympics, based on you know playing John Lennon's Imagine, Imagine There's No Heaven, Imagine There's No Hell, people only thinking about tomorrow. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's what he sings. I was just talking about the godlessness that has descended like a cloud over the world, really. Europe, for sure. Of course, Japan. (coughs) There are not many Christians in Japan, but that's just one country. And uh, just a vacuum of the knowledge of God, which used to be central to Western civilization. So um, that's the reason I played that clip is because that was, uh, although you couldn't see it, that was um, the win of a South African swimmer. Uh, she's 24 years old. Her name is, Tat- I think it's Tatiana. I think it's pronounced Schoenmaker, Schoenmaker, Tatiana Schoenmaker. Um, she broke a world record. She was not expecting it at all. There's this great picture of her when she turns around and looks at the clock and sees that she won. But here's the, the very cool thing to me. Uh, she had on her swim cap, Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory, for the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. Uh, and, um, she broke the previous world record of 2 minutes and 19.11 seconds by swimming 2 minutes, 18.95 seconds. Uh, and um, American swimmers Lily King and Annie Lazor uh, clinched the silver and bronze, and they rushed over and hugged her while she wept. It was just a real moment. A shoemaker, a shoemaker said, I wasn't expecting that at all. I couldn't have been a better race. It still just, just doesn't, doesn't sink in. Maybe one day. It's just an incredible win, Lazor said of Schumacher. That world record has been standing for a little bit too long, I think. So to see someone finally crack 2.19, 2 minutes, 19 seconds, we've all been working towards that, I think. To see someone like her do it, she's just a great person. Just to be there and experience that that with someone is something that you'll really never 
forget. And by the way, Schoenmaker, if you've never heard of her, she previously earned a silver in Tokyo for the women's 100-meter breaststroke. Um, um, what's the point of this? You know, she's just one girl, and I do think that there's a godlessness descending over the world and over the Olympics. But you can see that God is at work. God is at work. You know, the whole world was transformed by 11 disciples. When Jesus was crucified and, res- you know, resurrected, there were only 11 of them and maybe a few assorted, maybe 200 uh, extended. That was it. And through that, the whole world was changed. And so we know how God works. And then one other story, kind of similar. This is a, a 21-year-old girl, Sydney McLaughlin. She, um, gosh, it doesn't say here where she's. She must be American. Yeah, she's American. It says um, she's the only woman in history to run under 52 seconds in the women's 400-meter hurdles and one of the preeminent faces of the new generation of track and field athletes. Sydney McLaughlin set a new world record and received the gold medal. Her words reflect her faith as she boldly said, Records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. You know, what strikes me about that, um, that's beautiful. And what strikes me about that is we had Olympic, uh, uh, we've had athletes for years, you know, giving, I want to give credit to God or, or actors on stage. Uh, but I've never heard such profound statements of faith that are um, just um, deep and profound and actually explanatory. Uh, Listen to what she said. Records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. If you have not lived with an athlete like I did uh, at one time in my life, you don't understand maybe how winning and succeeding and breaking records drives world-class athletes. That's what they live for. They push their bodies to the brink. They punish their bodies on a regular basis. They deprive themselves. Uh, they deprive themselves not only of normal living. Um, and so for a, an athlete who just won the gold medal to say, records come and go, the glory of God is eternal, is amazing. And one more thing, just to, to drive the point home, she explains further. She is giving testimony that is profound. It isn't so simple as, thank you, Jesus. I want to thank God for this. There's nothing wrong with that. And I thank God for those athletes and uh, actors who have the courage to even say that in a hostile world. But, oh, how wonderful to hear, I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. That's what happened in the Olympics this week, and I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. I just thought that was great. We don't have enough great news, and so I thought we might need some good news. I'll, shall I go in with some more good news? I think I will. Can I find some? Let's see. <laughs> yes, there's, there is actually some good news, and I haven't mentioned it yet, and we will do a lengthy um, interview on this, but not, not yet. But the Supreme Court, of course, as you know, has decided to take an abortion case out of Mississippi uh, that could potentially overturn the famous Roe versus Wade decision, which was made uh, abortion legal for all nine months in the United States, and that happened in 1973. Oh, I remember that well. <laughs> I remember that well. 
Uh, it was the Roe versus Wade case that made abortion legal. It was the Doe versus Bolton, the companion case that made it um, legal for all nine months. And the reason there have been restrictions is because states jumped in and uh, provided restrictions so that uh, late-term abortions were banned pretty early on in most places. But you know not in all of them because we could we could talk about a whole story about how late-term abortions they found ways to do them uh, by making excuses about women's health, partial birth abortion, and all of that. And lots of babies were killed and slaughtered because of this law and continue to be. And so and this is a very big deal that the Supreme Court has decided to hear this case. Now, we don't know what the Supreme Court's going to do because I have to say that Amy Coney Barrett and um, the, the others that are new, new appointees of the president, President Trump have been a, a very big disappointment. I have a feeling, though, on abortion, they won't disappoint. It's just, um, it's interesting to me. Okay, I'm going to make an editorial remark, and you can send your you can send your complaints to Sandy at AFR.net. But I find that my Catholic friends, uh, there are exceptions, of course, because some of them know Scripture and they really they they are serious, uh, committed believers. Others, kind of the, the the party line of the Catholic Church, seems to be abortion is you know is the worst possible sin. And it isn't because, because, um, because I don't think God ranks sins like that. But they spend a lot of effort uh, making this a, a real central focus of the church. And I'm not complaining about that because if it weren't for them, evangelicals would never have gotten involved in the abortion fight. Uh, but I do think that they, uh, they, have a blind, uh, they turn a blind eye to a lot of other things. And I think we've seen that the now on the court. I think I don't know what the I think I think six out of nine or maybe seven out of nine. I'm not sure are Catholic, and you can kind of see it in their decisions uh, when it comes to immigration. The lax uh, no, that's not true of all of them. So this is a blanket statement that has lots of exceptions. Okay, uh, but when it comes to immigration, the Catholic Church is very weak on that. I think on uh, American sovereignty, they've. I've been real bad on that, and so the decisions reflect that. And on other, even on uh, the issue of uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, um, it, it, they've been very wishy-washy, so it's been very disappointing. But I think on Roe versus Wade and on abortion, because of the church teachings and emphasis, I think the, they will deliver on this. I really do. So Mike Pence has joined uh, with his organization. They filed a brief in this case. Ron DeSantis has joined... Oh, I, I lead with Ron DeSantis, but he's joined 11 other Republican governors uh, who are supporting uh, in support of that law and of uh, the Supreme. The, so I don't think they're going to write a brief, but we'll talk about that more. But that's a big deal. And they will hear that, I believe, in October. So um, th- that that is some good news. Now, here's some quirky news. I don't think this is good news, but Jack Prasobiak, uh, who is now Human Events Senior Editor. <laughs> is reporting that, um, you know, Joe Biden gives a lot of press conferences, and he says, uh, Jack says, after today's press conference, this is last week, late last week, senior Biden staffers were referring to him as, quote, the nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, the Monmouth um, uh, president, oh, no, 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 where is Jack's tweet? Well, they always remove the tweets. But that's exactly what he tweeted. He said, after today's press conference, senior Biden staffers were referring to Biden as the nightmare on Elm Street. I don't know why they said that, what their, uh, what was behind that. But we know that at one point, I saw this, a Gateway Pundit reported that uh, Joe was doing a, some kind of a presser, and he was sitting at a small desk, and an aide handed him a piece of paper 
with large print on it, and someone was able to see that it said, Sir, there's something on your chin. And then you can see Joe reading that and then wiping his chin. That's sad to me. I mean, I do not relish this stuff. Um, I think, you know, with the Nightmare on Elm Street, that that was a guy who was a pedophile, child-murdering monster. So that's a little bit serious that you would call your boss that. And um, just something of note. All right, so um, over the weekend, the Senate met in an unusual weekend. And it is unusual because those elderly gentlemen generally do not meet on Saturday. But they met on Saturday, and with their Republican friends, uh, they have announced text for the $1.2 trillion infrastructure deal. Now, it's going to have a lot of goodies in it. And I guess the reason why so many Republicans are supporting it, including Rich McConnell, is because it will make them heroes back home. Now, it will push the national debt. Uh, it will probably, no doubt, uh, increase inflation exponentially. Uh, it will hurt America in the long run, but they are excited about it because it will make them look like heroes and probably get them reelected. And I think that's what's behind this. But it is just tragic. It's absolutely tragic to me. One good thing coming out of the Senate, I can't believe I'm saying this, and it isn't done until it's done, and I'm a skeptic, but for today, let me just say that Senator Joe Manchin is saying today, he announced it on CNN State of the Union, that he can't imagine uh, supporting making an exception to the Senate filibuster rules in order to pass this big election and campaign finance reform, which is a top priority for the Democrats, which uh, in codes. Uh, uh, puts in writing so much of the nonsense that happened uh, in the November election, uh, which uh, you know removes the necessity for uh, signatures and ca- precautions that most Americans feel are important uh, to verify citizenship or whatever they do. Uh, but so Joe Manchin is saying he's not for it. He's not for doing away with the filibuster. If the Democrats, this encourages me. But see, Joe Manchin is never trustworthy. So I will reserve, you know, popping the champagne cork till later. But if he holds to this, that means that the Republicans could actually, could actually uh, have a real win and sweep both houses of Congress in the spring. I honestly, I cannot imagine uh, the left, since they have such a stronghold right now and so much power, I can't imagine that going down without a all-out battle. That's what happened in November. Uh, they were they were hell-bent on winning at all costs, and they will be the same in the spring. So, uh, so that's what's been happening in Washington. I'll be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. It gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of in his image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same-sex attracted couple contact us and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please, Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit inhisimage.movie. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life 
and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Robert Anderson, Principal Deputy Solicitor for the United States Department of the Interior. His office manages 75% of our nation's federal public land. 1 Corinthians 10.26 reminds us that the earth is God's creation. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Right now with this in mind, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to guide Robert Anderson in his role at the United States Department of the Interior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. As you plan your summer college visits, add Liberty University to the list. With many visiting options to choose from, you're sure to find the right one to fit your schedule. Spend a few hours exploring campus with our student-led team at Tour LU, dig deeper and learn more about life at Liberty during Experience LU, or take your next steps towards becoming a student at Decide LU. Learn more and register today by texting VISIT to 49596. Again, that's VISIT to 49596. See you this summer. Vicki Hansen of Bowling Green, Missouri, is known around town for making fudge. It's something of a family tradition. On average, Mrs. Hansen makes around 42,000 pounds of fudge every year. Not for the family, but for American troops. It's a tradition that started with the women of the Hansen family during World War II. Her father served in the military, as did two of her children. Mrs. Hansen's fudge has been devoured by troops serving in 52 different countries. She tells television station WGEM the military needs to know they're appreciated and respected. She said they need to have hope, and nothing says hope like a box of homemade fudge, all made in her tiny kitchen with a cast iron skillet, shipped out using donated coolers and tin cans. An inspiration to all Americans, giving our soldiers and airmen and Marines and sailors a little taste of home. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. First Amendment protest is what this country is about. The First Amendment, the Constitution, like, that's the democracy of it. But once you start attacking people, attacking things, then that's wrong. And, that, and you know what? That goes to the riots this summer. They were wrong. If you peacefully protest, then sure. But the riots and the, the violence and the damage this summer, they were wrong. They were wrong. And that's the exact same thing that happened at the Capitol. But their goal was to overthrow democracy, which is a bigger threat to America. At the World According to Harry Dunn, the police officer that testified in the January 6th Select Committee the, earlier in the week, uh, Mr. Black Lives Matter supporter, Mr. Uh, lying about Brian Sicknick, uh, under oath in that chamber about how his buddy Brian uh, died of uh, injuries as a result of January 6th, which was a lie. Everyone knows that. The coroner came back and made great fanfare of the fact that Brian died of natural causes. He had some health problem. But Harry, you know, uh, you know, he made his point while he cried along with his other companions. So um, now he's telling us that the January 6th was worse because 
than all those riots earlier. They were bad, too, says Harry. He admits they weren't so good. But the difference was that the January 6th detainees were trying to do away with democracy. They were trying to, like, who who knows that? You know, I, I think, uh, actually, if Harry asked me, since I know a lot of people that were there and since I would have been there, I would have said, but, Harry, it's the opposite because— we have a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And we have a promise in uh, the preamble to our Constitution that when any, any uh, <clears throat> the Declaration, excuse me, <clears throat> that when any, ever any form of government becomes destructive of the ends described in the Declaration, it is the right of the people to abolish, uh, uh, abolish it and to, and to institute new governments. That's just part of our DNA, Harry. Maybe you don't know that. Our system is not based on a bunch of people in D.C. telling us what to do. We have never had a government like that. Uh, People in D.C. work for us. You work for us, Harry. And so when people in Washington start to feel their oats and beat their breasts and feel that they're kings or queens like Nancy Pelosi, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new governments. Uh, that's what was happening. Uh, no one was trying to institute a new government. They were just want, they wanted they the silly those silly people just actually wanted the the election of November third to be fairly considered, and they felt that there was a lot of nefarious stuff going on for good reason. So that's what I would say to Harry. But I bet he wouldn't care about what I had to say. Well, you might wonder what happened when Louis Gohmert. And uh, Matt Gates and uh, I think Paul Gosar was with them too, and Marjorie Taylor Greene went to the prison uh, last Thursday. Um, so uh, this is uh, an account from Rosie uh, in uh, Virginia that I'm going to share. Uh, she was there on that day, and she said, um, <clears throat> and she also was reminding us in this little thing that it is Congress who funds and oversees the D.C. prison system. That's why it's so ironic. When Congressman Gohmert goes to that jail and asks to speak with a supervisor, uh, and then a prison guard comes around with a cell phone, photographing everyone present, uh, photographing, taking the, a prison guard comes out to Americans just standing outside of the prison and takes pictures of all of them, them on a cell phone. So uh, the supervisor who Congressman Gohmert was supposed to meet with never came out, and when they tried to go back into the lobby, the lobby doors were locked, and they would not let Congressman Gohmert, Congressman Gates, and Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene go back inside the prison. They has a, it's a big lobby. It's a very pretty building. And it's got, uh, you can see on the outside of the building, it has these three words, pride, professionalism, and passion. And so the hubris to lock the doors on congressmen who actually have the authority to fund or defund them Let's just pray, shall I say, that Joe Manchin sticks to his guns and does not allow that corrupt election power grab bill to pass, and 2022 brings in a wave of constitutionalists and people who love this country, then let's just see what happens to the D.C. jail. I would love that moment. I'd like to share that moment with you on the air. Okay, so um, there was some video taken of the interaction between uh, Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Congressman Gohmert. Matt Gates does most of the talking, but I have to tell you, you know that Congressman Gohmert is the one 
who led this and organized this. And uh, he did not, but he's not the kind of person that's going to grandstand, so he didn't. Uh, but I want you to hear the montage and just listen to the interactions. It's pretty amazing. Clip three. This was apparently a bait and switch. We are here just to speak to a supervisor. And when the supervisor came out and we came out to have that discussion, they literally ran behind us and locked the doors uh, so that we wouldn't have the opportunity to present our identification and, and, uh, and seek a review. This is a rare time under this administration where prison is used to lock people out instead of locking people in. They don't want to know what's in. happening they inside. Apparently, know. they don't want anyone to know what's happening inside. My I'll gosh, my the government is upside yes, down. Can you please go ask your supervisor? You right now are obstructing entrance into this facility. This is the way people enter. You're obstructing right. entrance. We won't obstruct, obstruct okay. the entrance. Nope, but we'll we help anybody. Now that's yeah. what we're doing. Okay, we'll clear the entrance. We'll yeah. clear the after asking questions for months, after being ignored for months, after sending notice that we could be arriving, and then after arriving, we were unable to get any answers, and we still have gotten no answers. But we're not the type of members of Congress who just go away. We're going to continue to show up and press these issues, because whether it's access to evidence or treatment of people, we have a job to do here to conduct oversight. I believe uh, Congressman Gohmert has attempted to get access previously, but there are two categories of information that we're principally concerned about. One is exculpatory evidence that is not available to people who are facing criminal process. That's why we went to the Department of Justice earlier this week to have a talk about that evidence and the plans for it. And our second category of concern regards the treatment of people. And uh, while it is normal for members of Congress to uh, inspect detention facilities, there appears to be something very different about this place. It's unlike the places on the border where Congresswoman Green recently had an inspection, or uh, unlike places where, you know, as former criminal justice chairman in my state legislature, I was able to have access. So, uh, you know, Congressman Gomert and I serve questions, and, you know, we would want the American people to know that What's unusual is not members of Congress coming to a detention facility to conduct a review and ask questions. What's unusual is that after repeated attempts by Congressman Gohmert, we seem to be unable to do what is a normal part of our job. All right, so that's uh, portions of what transpired on scene. Uh, they try to go and remember, they went to the Justice Department on Tuesday for a supposed meeting, and they were not even allowed into the lobby. There were five of them on that day. Bob Good and uh, uh, Paul Gosar from Arizona uh, joined Louie and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, Matt Gates, And they were not even allowed into the lobby of the Justice Department. Let that soak in and let that make you angry. Not because it's an injustice to the five congressmen, although that should make you angry too, but because that is where we're going with this. There is no justice, there is no access, there is no representation. It will be, if it continues on the tra this trajectory, a one-party rule, and that one party will not be the Democratic Party. It will be an, um, a totalitarian government that will rule our lives with an iron fist and punish. And why do I say that? Why do I say about punishment? Well, let me remind you who's in that jail. They will not let the congressman go visit these guys. They're not convicted. This is pretrial detention. And when they say exculpatory evidence, exculpatory evidence, they're talking about that they, the, the attorneys defending these people in, that were there on January 6th who are being held are not being given a basic 
a basic uh, constitutional provision for anyone on trial, and that is any evidence gathered that would help that client. The government uh, has, well, under the Capitol Police, under that broad category, has like 13,000 hours of tape and video they will not release. And I think it's because it showed that people were, for the most part, peaceful, except for the rebel rousers that you've seen. Repeated, hand-selected, played over and over again, put together in montages to make it look uh, as bad as possible. But how about that other 13,000 hours? What's, what's there? That's exculpatory evidence that could probably save or um, render innocent the victims. I want to give you two more people that are being held inside that jail of that those congressmen were not able to see, not able to protect. We understand they're being held in solitary confinement. They're not being fed. They're not getting medical attention. They're being beaten on a regular basis. This is horrendous. This is not America. There should be there should be a lot more than five congressmen at that jail. Uh, and I'll talk about what they are doing. Meanwhile, across town, what they've been doing. Robert Bachelor. Um, he has two names. Robert Bachelor Gieswine. I don't understand that, but there you go. Went to D.C. on January 6th to protest the theft of an election and to support his president. He was also there to keep the peace in case there, was any, there were any flare-ups between Patriots and Antifa. Robert has no criminal record, was never suspended from school. When Robert's stepfather, Patrick Bachelor, passed away three years ago, he stepped in to take care of his mother and younger sister. With Robert in solitary, in solitary confinement since January 18th, Sherry, his mother, has drained their savings and is now unable to make last month's mortgage. They need financial help to make ends meet and pay for their legal fees. Robert has been denied due process and justice, even if the trumped-up charges were true, and they are not. He does not deserve solitary without bail for six months. His family asks for our help. Spread the word about the injustice. Pray, give. And there is, again, a um, Christian-based fundraising site called Give, Send, Go. Give, Send, Go. And uh, this is Robert Bachelor, um, B-A-S-H-L-O-R. We'll put that on our Facebook page. And while I'm talking, you guys, put the the address uh, where people can write the prisoners, please, back on my screen so I could see it and give it out again. James McGrew is a third-generation Marine who volunteered to fight for his country after 9-11. He was hit by an IED and was medevaced for, to the, from the front lines. He downplayed his injuries to return to his foxhole buddies. Finishing his tour, he was honorably discharged. James went to D.C. on January 6th to protest against a corrupt government and a stolen election. He is now sitting in D.C. in solitary. His family needs him home. His mother needs her son. James' son needs his dad. Spread the word about the injustice. Pray. Give. And that's again at givesendgo.com. And this is James McGrew. Now, um, the way you can write these prisoners is patriotmailproject.com. Patriotmailproject.com. That's on our Facebook page in case you forget. But uh, again, we don't know how long things are going to stay up. But that's who you're writing. That's an example of two of the guys that you would be writing. So, um, so Adam Kinzinger, who was the hand-picked Republican along with uh, um, Liz Cheney to serve on this select committee. And indeed, it is select. It's all Democrats and Adam Kinziger and Liz Cheney. Adam, the Republican from Illinois, who was a never-Trumper, hates Trump, hates him, hates him. 
uh, was on Sunday on one of the, what was he on, ABC's This Week, and I want you to hear what he had to say. Let's listen. One of the big questions is what Donald Trump was up to in the White House as this riot was unfolding. Uh, Liz Cheney has suggested, including in an interview on This Week, uh, that anybody who spoke to Donald Trump during those hours uh, should come and testify before the committee. She suggested it could even mean subpoenas, uh, a subpoena for Kevin McCarthy. And now we've learned Jim Jordan also talked to Donald Trump on January 6th. Would you support subpoenas to the Republican leader in the House and to, and to Jim Jordan? I would support subpoenas to anybody that can shed light on that. Um, if that's the leader, that's the leader. If it's anybody that talked to the president that can provide us that information, I want to know what the president was doing every moment of that day after he said, I'm going to walk with you to the Capitol. After Mo Brooks stood up and said, we're going to kick backside and take names. Today's the day that, you know, patriots take their country back from other people. Uh, I want to know what they were doing because that's going to be important. I want to know you know, if the National Guard took five or six hours to get to Capitol Hill, did the president make any calls? And if he didn't, why? And if he did, of course, then how come the National Guard still takes five hours? I think had the president picked up the phone and made a call, the guard would have been there immediately. This all is right, stuff so that I'm we interrupting. Here's the you know, thing: sweep under the so rug. Adam, of, that was all. Adam, Adam, and uh, Liz Cheney hate President Trump. And as I said in my uh, evaluation of Liz's remarks in the opening of the select committee, I, I honestly think they are absolutely desperate, desperate to find Trump, Trump guilty, that he organized this, that he planned it, that he was pulling the strings. They want that to be true because otherwise I think never Trumpers, uh, part of them feel, it recognizes that the facts don't bear out their hatred. Uh, so they, if they could only see, if they could only find out that Donald Trump was in the center of this, orchestrating it, all this bad stuff that happened on January 6th, that would justify their hatred against him, you see. I really do think that's what's driving it. But the striking thing about that is Adam Kinziger has just said he would support subpoenas for Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, and Jim Jordan to bring them in because they talked to the president on that day, and so we have to know everything that was said. Well, you know, in terms of the National Guard, we know that the President Trump asked for the National Guard more than once. We know that the head of the Capitol Police Force asked, begged uh, for the National Guard uh, to be present. They knew that before January 6th there was going to be trouble. And for some reason, there was a stand-down order. There, um, that's my words. I don't know if there's an official stand-down order. But Nancy Pelosi, who's over the Capitol Hill Police and over the Sergeant of Arms, did not ask for that. And that's the part that Jim Jordan keeps asking. Why not? Why not? Nancy Pelosi has trouble on her hands and guilt. All right, we'll be right back. Sandy, we'll see you in the morning. Are you in need of hope, encouragement, and the love of God? I'm Pastor Salem. I'd like to invite you to join us for the Christian Worship Hour. For decades, I've been teaching the Word of God so that people everywhere can experience the love and power of a personal relationship with our Lord. Tune into this station this weekend and prepare to be blessed and encouraged by another life-changing message. Learn more about our program at ChristianWorshipHour.com. I refer to your part-time jobs as what you do outside of your home, outside of your family, to generate an income for your family. Your full-time job is what you do within your family. We're on the go consistently. People are hustling, trying to get it. And I just want to remind everybody to, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Make sure that we are not neglecting our families in the process. 
Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. Show up at your full-time job, ready to work. <laughs> Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are His delight. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. After Texas legislators fled the Lone Star State to prohibit the passage of an election integrity bill there, they sought sanctuary in D.C. This reportedly led to the spread of COVID-19 in the White House among those who'd taken the injections. That led a reporter to ask Press Secretary Jen Psaki, why won't the administration just release the number of breakthrough cases you've had of vaccinated staffers? Why not just provide the number? Are you trying to hide something? To which Saki replied, why do you need that information? But she brings truth and transparency, right? Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a health care plan that isn't affordable or you simply don't like it, Right now is a great time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month when they join MediShare. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to the typical health insurance plan. That's double. So you get a massive network of providers to choose from. You get telehealth services. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for more than 25 years, shared more than $4 billion in healthcare bills. Here's why now really is the time to make the switch, too. You can start saving each month, which is huge, but right now they'll waive your joining fee. So you'll save another $170 right off the bat. But again, it's a limited time offer. You got to call now. And it only takes two minutes to find out how much you'd save by switching. Here's the number 833 Bible. That's 833 Bible. 833 Bible. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. In recent days, U.S. investors have lost over $400 billion in funds invested often without their knowledge in non-transparent, unaccountable, and ultimately unreliable companies tied to the Chinese Communist Party. This financial carnage prompted seven U.S. senators to write the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, raising serious concerns about such exposure and the fact that foreign shareholders have no claim against the PRC corporations in which they are supposedly invested. Instead, they typically hold paper issued by so-called variable interest entities based in the Cayman Islands and have no recourse if the Chinese government opts capriciously to sanction or regulate such firms. If Americans can't be persuaded to avoid investing in CCP-tied companies because they often pose threats to our national security and or human rights values, maybe the prospect of losing their shirts will do the trick. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Because you talk about this administration having a priority of protecting the American people. Can you help us understand why is it that the federal government is asking vaccinated Americans to wear masks to stop the spread of COVID-19, but at the same time, federal agents are also releasing COVID-19 positive border crossers into small towns in Texas. How is that? Well, let's step back for a second because I, you know, this is... I'm sure everything's fine. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it could be. But you know, you did laugh at my joke, so maybe that's a reaction to laughing at my joke. Okay, so let's, I, I just want to be very clear here. I do want to answer your question, Peter. Um, uh, first, just to step back and do this 30,000-foot view, um, there's been no change in Title 42. Families and single adults are expelled, if possible, when apprehended at the southern border. Uh, the majority of apprehensions that we saw at the border in June were, were expelled. Uh, those who can't be expelled or are, or are awaiting processing are often placed in alternative, alternatives to detention programs while their cases are being reviewed. CBP provides migrant with PPE from the moment, from the moment they are taken into custody and migrants are required to keep masks on at all times, including when they are transferred or in the process of being released. If anyone exhibits signs of illness in Here's CBP the thing, custody, I have, a, <clears throat> I have a, an incredible story this morning with pictures of a thousand people waiting to be processed at one checkpoint at the border. Uh, a reporter took a took a picture of it, and um, he said, "You're not going. This is the this is the most people we've ever seen." And trust me, they're not masking. I mean, what what the that White House spokesperson was actually very kind, much kinder than Jen Psaki, which sometimes is more dangerous because when they lie, you uh, sort of like them so much that you let them get away with it. You see how lighthearted that little press conference was, but there's so much at stake. This is a lot of young people dealing with serious stuff, and I don't sometimes under, think they understand the repercussions. So the, the fact remains that thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are coming over the southern border, and we know they're bringing COVID into this country. Uh, we've had uh, Congressman uh, Aguilar, is it? No, I can't think of his name, uh, in Texas. We just played a clip of him last week talking about the number of positive cases in some of the towns in Texas that he represents, and uh, they, they've got a correlating to the number of illegal immigrants that are coming into the town. It's really sad, and it's really true. While they're cracking down, uh, they, let's see, what, the Biden administration, the CDC, the NIH are making a, such a fanfare out of cracking down because of the uh, the Delta variant. Uh, they are allowing people to come across our borders maskless uh, and infecting the country. And somehow that doesn't matter. And of course, it matters. It's ridiculous. Um I want to, uh, let's see, I actually think I want to skip ahead for just a second. Rand Paul, you know, we're being told again that the Delta variant, the Delta variant, that is, that's the thing that's causing things to be, um, that is making uh, the urgency for this, uh, the new masking and social distancing and all the, all the things that are breaking out everywhere. And it is true that COVID numbers are surging. They're, they're surging in Asia, in Thailand, Malaysia, Tokyo, Florida, uh, has re, uh, recorded more than 21,000 new COVID cases. And um, uh, so what's happening here? Well, what's happening here is that the, the Delta virus, from all accounts, is much, much, much more um, contagious. It spreads much more quickly. But it is not nearly as lethal. It's just not as serious. It's more like the common cold. That doesn't mean everyone that gets it, it just gets the common cold. There are people dying. Uh, but Rand Paul actually weighed in on this, uh, and I believe it's clip uh, 14. Let's listen saying it's the Delta variant. Well, there's one large study out of England from Public Health England, 92,000 patients. And do you know how many people died in the vaccinated wing of this under age 50? Zero. Do you know how many people died? There were 52,000 people unvaccinated. Do you know how many people died? Six. 
that works out to 0.08% less than the flu. That's under age 50. Over age 50, it was about half as many people died as were dying last year. So the Delta variant is more transmissible, but less deadly. But if you say that, Facebook will take you down, they'll chastise you, take away your birthday, and say you're spreading mistruth. But it's absolutely factual. The Delta variant is more transmissible, but far less deadly than the virus from last year. Yes, uh, and the numbers prove that, and I'll get to those in just a second. Interestingly enough, uh, Sky News uh, out of Australia was taken off of social media because they made some report about Delta, similar to what Rand just said, Dr. Rand Paul, by the way. And so here's an article from the Washington Times, and uh, the, the, the headline is this, Virus numbers worsen rapidly with Delta variant, but nowhere near the peak. U.S. hospitalizations for COVID-19 are averaging nearly 35,000, a whopping 46% increase over the prior reporting week, but far below the pandemic peak in early January. The nation is reporting over 300 deaths per day on average from the disease. That's a sharp increase from an average of 170 on July 10th, but far below 2,000 daily deaths during the spring 2020 crisis and the 3,000 at the winter apex, according to the Centers for Disease Control. So um, it's it's all a matter of perspective. Uh, the, the Delta has caused it to arise, the cases to rise, and people are getting sick, but nothing like what it was, and uh, this is not nearly as lethal. And I want to, you know, much was said about, well, where where are the studies that the CD is using, CDC is using for this new uh, crackdown? Because they said there were studies, but they didn't offer any. So here's uh, the answer to that. It has been determined that one of the studies used by the Centers for Disease Control to justify the strict new mask mandates was not only rejected by peer review, but was also based on a vaccine that's currently not authorized for use in the United States. So this was just a cut to the chase instead of reading all this to you. This is uh, it, this was the COVID uh, India variant, the, the Delta variant. Uh, the study came out of India, but the people that were tested were taking a um, vaccine that is not available in the United States. So it's not a good comparison. Uh, there, it's in fact it has no comparison at all because we do not. I think that I think, I think India used the Chinese vaccine. So there. So moving down in this article, and this is in American Greatness. Although it has been documented that vaccinated individuals can still catch the coronavirus, the notion of asymptomatic spread, or the idea that an individual who is immune, or displays no symptoms despite actually possessing the virus, can still infect others, was debunked months ago. And yet the CDC has uh, now abruptly put in new restrictions, among other sudden reversals, now demands all students in K-12 wear masks at all time, regardless of vaccination status, and that even unvaccinated people should continue wearing masks. So you can still see that we are all over the map. There's a lot more to say, and I'm going to try to get it in here. People around the world are upset about this. And uh, I want to just give you an idea. Over the weekend in France, uh, let's listen. This is what it sounded like. Clip 17. So while you listen to that, leave it up for a second, Devin. Uh, This is uh, hundreds of thousands of people in the streets in France. because they are, Macron is announcing that health papers will be mandatory for daily life, like going to a cafe. 
eating at a restaurant, or getting on a train. Protesters in Paris clashed with police who fired tear gas grenades at the anti-vaccine passport demonstrators. Uh, police later used water cannons to try to disperse the crowds in former side of the former side of the Bastille. The Bastille was where they, uh, during the revolution, they marched on the Bastille. So I, I you know, um, there they are. They're upset. They are very upset, and rightly so. And as a matter of fact, that reminds me, you know, the French have some great scientists. I guess they do. They, um, in spite of their decline, I think, as a nation, certainly, um, they still have some great scientists and. Uh, Jennifer Griffin did a real interesting report because, and I mentioned this last week, but this report really underscores it, and that is that the French are calling foul on the Wuhan lab. I'll let Jennifer Griffin actually tell this story to you a little more clearly. This is clip one. U.S. and French officials sounded alarm bells about security at the Wuhan Institute of Virology as early as 2009, according to State Department cables. It's a critical piece of data that... Um, clearly, that uh, the cables indicate the Chinese had lax security standards. The press reporting on this also uh, indicates that the French have had a, uh, a very troubled relationship with the Chinese going back uh, almost a decade. So there were concerns. Tom Donano, a Trump appointee, was on the State Department team investigating the origin of COVID-19 and tells Fox that those concerns centered on safety at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the wisdom of collaborating with the Chinese on such sensitive biotechnology and research. In 2004, the French government signed an agreement to help the Chinese build its first biosafety level four lab in Wuhan to study infectious diseases in the wake of the SARS outbreak, despite the protests of French defense officials. The French were responsible for managing the lab's safety protocols until they were abruptly kicked out of the lab by the Chinese government in 2017, shortly after it was inaugurated. Two years earlier, French intelligence warned the U.S. government that it had concerns about Chinese behavior at the lab. If it gets out of the lab... That, according to David Asher, the State Department's former lead investigator into the COVID origin. Quote, DGSE, France's CIA, were pretty public in sounding their alarm bells, not typical. I can't understand how NIH, DOD, and AID would continue to plow dollars and transfer tech to WIV in the wake of the French being evacuated. The signals were clear. Uh, we know the Chinese have had an offensive biological weapons program for decades since they joined the biological weapons treaty in the 80s. The French knew that as well. All right, so yeah, the French knew that as well. So bottom line, the Chinese, what in the world were we doing teaching them how to develop potentially biological warfare weapons? Why, what in the world, what madness descended on the West to think that we could trust China with that? But we did. And uh, Dr. Fauci evidently was up to his very large ears in all of this. And so I think he's in trouble. Uh, but as long as this particular regime is in charge, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll get away with it just like... Uh, uh, Governor Cuomo in New York and all the and Governor uh, Whitmer in Michigan, you know, sending uh, COVID positive people back into nursing homes, ordering them back, and then killing uh, hundreds, thousands of seniors. They'll get away with that under this regime. But God willing, justice will be done in time. We talked about that in Sunday school yesterday. It was, you know, that God, <laughs> God will exact justice. It's going to be a, an incredible thing when God brings justice to this world, and it will come. I want to talk about vaccines just as quickly as I can here, just like a little snapshot, because it looks like um, the Biden administration is considering a vaccine mandate. I mean, sure, if they could, 
they would, no question about it. One of the most concerning things to me, one of the stories that came out, this is dated August the 1st. <clears throat> this is uh, from the Epoch Times. This, this, is very, this is maddening. This makes me so upset, and you'll understand when I tell you, nearly 400 children between the ages of 12 and 17 were diagnosed with heart inflammation after receiving the Pfizer-BioTech COVID-19 vaccine. And that's according to a study published by the Centers for Disease Control. The condition known as, my, known as myocarditis, and we've talked about this before. We've had studies of all kinds of incidents happening overseas. That's why I think Israel paused it for a while and other countries. The condition known as myocarditis occurs mostly in young boys. Heart inflammation wasn't identified as an adverse reaction, wasn't identified as an adverse reaction during the safety trials. The CDC conducted the study versus their VARS reporting system, which, as you know, is a voluntary thing. It's very inaccurate. It's uh, You catch some and you don't catch all of them. So they caught five, five, th- almost 400 children suffering heart inflammation. Uh, so um, of the 8.9 million children who received the vaccine, as of July 16, VARS received a total of 9,246 reports of adverse reactions. were made up of non-serious adverse reactions. Um, So, but I want to, again, tell you that that's an incomplete report. That's a voluntary uh, voluntary, uh, situation. They do not have to report adverse reactions. So do you think that most places are or are not? What do you think? I I think they're not. So 14 children died after receiving the Pfizer vaccine, according to the study. Um, I want to say this, if I don't have another thing to say. Why? Why would you force your children, especially your boys, and we don't know the effect on girls' infertility yet, there's, there's concern about that. If there's even a slight chance they could develop this heart problem or die with the vaccine when their chances of dying from COVID is almost zero, almost zero, and it is for you too. Uh, and on average, you have a 98 to 99% chance of survival. You need the proper medications. You need ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine as a prophylactic. Uh, you do not need... A, why would we take a chance on such a, a vaccine? Why would we? Why? Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.